0: And live
1: online.
0: This is Radio 3.
2: Money Talk. Good morning, and a warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday, the 7th of June. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business and finance news activity in china's private services sector continued to contract in may but at a slower pace the china's kaishin services pmi registered a reading of 41.4 in may rebounding from a 26-month low of 36.2 in the previous month but missing economists forecasts of 46. it's the third straight month of contraction as covid 19 lockdown measures halt activity in the sector It's also the second sharpest drop in the sector since February 2020. Business activity in Hong Kong's private sector expanded in May at the fastest pace in more than a decade after the government eased COVID restrictions. The S&P Global Purchasing Managers Index rose to 54.9 in May, up from 51.7 in April. It was the second straight month of expansion after three months of contraction to start the year. Hong Kong's financial secretary, Paul Chan, told a LegCo panel on Monday that Hong Kong's economic situation was stabilizing. He noted that the value of total retail sales, which fell 7.6% year on year in the first quarter, climbed 11.7% in April. He said it's vital to have the COVID-19 situation under control for the economy to keep its momentum. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Patrick Bennett from CIBC World Markets and Quentin Webb of the Wall Street Journal. With a view from Japan is John Byrne at the Asian Development Bank Institute. And please contact us with any questions or comments by texting 63935925, emailing moneytalk at rthk.hk. Take a look at our Facebook page. Plenty of information there on Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Or tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3
3: Money talk on RTHK
2: us stocks started off a new week on the front foot shrugging off a jump in treasury bond yields key consumer price index data from the us is due to be released on friday before that the s&p 500 closed a third of a percent higher at 4,121. The Dow gave up gains of over 300 points to close just 16 points higher, at 32,916, but as that composite, rose 0.4% to 12,061. Shares of Twitter fell 1.5% but were off their lows after Elon Musk threatened to walk away from his $44 billion takeover, accusing the social media company of thwarting his requests to learn more about its user base. And shares of DD Global surged 24% in New York after the Wall Street Journal reported that China will conclude its year-long cyber security probe into DD Global and others and lift the ban on new users as soon as this week. Chinese authorities are also preparing to allow Didi's app back on domestic app stores. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index climbed 0.9%, London's FTSE 100 jumped 1% higher. Hong Kong markets reopened after a long weekend and closed higher after Beijing lifted some COVID-related restrictions. Hang Seng was helped by a big jump in tech firms, rising 2.7% or 572 points, to a two-month high of 21,654. The tech index surged 4.6%, Shares of Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing moved between gains and losses before ending the day 1.6% higher following news of a 546 million US dollar lawsuit brought by Elliott Associates and Elliott International over the London Metal Exchange's decision in March to cancel futures contracts on nickel. The LME is the UK is the UK subsidiary of HKEX. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite jumped 1.3% to 3,236. In the commodities markets, the Bloomberg Spot Commodity Index hit a new record high today. Brent crude oil rose 0.2% and is at $120 per barrel. U.S. natural gas surged over 9% today, back above $9 to its highest close since August 2008 and gold is down 0.6% at $1,839 an ounce. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield hit its highest level in nearly a month, rising 10 basis points to 3.04% and the U.S. dollar index rose 0.2%. The euro is just below $1.07. The Japanese yen has slid to a 20-year low against the US dollar. The currency fell 0.8% to 131.96 per US dollar. That's the lowest since April 2002 and exceeded the previous 20-year low hit on May the 9th. Sterling is up 0.4% at $1.25 and a quarter cents after UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson narrowly survived a no confidence vote in his leadership by MPs in his ruling Conservative Party. However, more than 40% of MPs voted against Mr Johnson in the 211 to 148 vote. Against the local currency, the pound is worth $9.82. The Chinese Yuan is trading at 6.65 and a half versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin rose over 6% to (laughs) $31,300. Let's take a look around Asia-Pacific markets as they open up this morning. The ASX ASX 200 in Australia is off 0.2%. Nikkei 225 is flat. The Cosby, which was closed for a holiday yesterday, is down about three quarters of a percent, and it looks like a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Okay. <laughs> It's 8.09 and a half. Let's welcome our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets. Welcome back, Patrick. Thank
3: you. Good morning, Peter.
2: And also with us is Quentin Webb, Asia Markets editor of the Wall Street Journal. Morning to you, Quentin. Good morning, Peter. Uh, Let's start in China. As we heard earlier, private services continue to contract in May, but at a slower pace, the services PMI uh, hits 41.4. That's a rebound from a 26-month low of 36.2 uh, in the previous month. It is the third straight month of contraction, uh, but it, and it's also the second sharpest drop in the sector since February 20. And Patrick, despite that, do, do you think we're seeing signs now that maybe um, we're past the, the worst in China, that the economy is starting to stabilise and we're starting to see an easing of restrictions?
3: Well, I think it 's tempting to say that uh, certainly uh, you know, given we know some of the uh, you know, the unwind of these restrictions, I think is uh you know, certainly encouraging uh, what we don 't know is uh, whether there may be you know, further lockdowns or further restrictions to come we, we certainly hope we certainly hope not uh, but I think yeah with the uh, there is some encouragement with the ending of those, and I think if we put that together. Now, with the stimulus coming through, then I think you know, the second half of the year certainly looks better. But uh, you know, the depth of the slowdown now looks to be, uh, or the depth of the, you know, the contraction in Q2 looks to be quite severe.
2: The, the problem is the uh, the consumer sector. The consumer's shot to pieces, isn't he, in terms of confidence yeah, look, at the look, moment? Look,
3: absolutely, and I think that's a contrast that we're seeing uh, in other in other major economies. Uh, where the consumer in services in services demand has been particularly strong, mm. uh, so there yeah, certainly that's a missing ingredient, and uh, it may it, well we, we believe it's going to take some time uh, to come back. You know, people will be cautious. Uh, you know, we used to talk about this pent up demand in uh, in the US and elsewhere. I was not a big fan of that of that story, but certainly it's come through, and I, I think we may be looking at uh, the same in in China, but you know, not till later in the year. Quentin, do you think the worst is over?
1: It seems that way. But, you know, it's a very important caveat that Patrick makes, which is that we're sort of on a knife edge because we just don't know at what point Mm -hmm. there might be further lockdowns to deal with, you know, further outbreaks of different variants of COVID-19. So that, uh, you know, even the very fact of that looming in the background has an important effect on sort of business and consumer confidence, I would say, as well.
2: People are hoping that China is going to quietly move away from this zero COVID um, policy yeah. and even if uh, even if cases do rebound, we're not going to go back to the same sort of lockdowns that we've seen before. But if we yeah. do, that's going to be a huge, huge blow, isn't it, for, well, for the economy?
3: Well, of course. I mean, that's uh, that's the water cooler talk all, all around the city, isn't it? Of uh, you know when uh, when are, you know, restrictions going to end here? When is uh, quarantine going to end here? And you know, will China move away from zero COVID? I, I I very much doubt they're going to move away. Uh, from it uh, time soon, uh you know perhaps not till after the you know the Congress later in the year uh, they 've been very conservative to date uh, i don 't believe that they 're going to uh, you know suddenly uh, rescind that conservatism uh, you know to go forward, so yeah, you know we all say hope is not a strategy. <laughs>
2: Um, Quintin what, what do you think if we if we do um, so can sort of keep away from these lockdowns and, and China can quietly move away from this uh, from this policy do you think the stimulus measures that we've seen are going to be enough um, to, to get the economy going again because they're, they're really focusing once again on businesses aren't they giving tax rebates uh, rent rebates not so much on the consumer
1: I think that's correct um, I think the general consensus is that it's relatively modest at least compared to kind of previous stimulus packages in the past there are some measures targeting the consumer. So quite notably, there are, for example, some incentives for first-time home buyers in particular to to take out mortgages. But as you say, there's a lot of stuff relating to the business sector, relating sort of tax rebates, tax cuts, etc. I think the general consensus is it's relatively modest in scale compared to the downturn that that China has endured, compared to previous stimulus packages. And also yeah you're kind of pitting it against this continued uncertainty about the prospect of future lockdowns now some other news uh, from china um president Biden's issued an executive
2: order that's going to allow solar panels to be imported to the us from thailand malaysia cambodia and vietnam without the risk of tariffs for a 24-month period although he did leave china which is the world's largest producer of the panels out of that executive order And then over the weekend, it's been reported that the US is considering lifting tariffs on some Chinese goods to try and curb surging inflation, although not on steel or aluminium. Patrick, we talked about these tariffs, haven't we, many times over the last couple of years now, right going back to when President Trump first introduced them. And I think we're both on the same page. Um, tariffs in general don't work. So is this a is this a good move? Is this a good sign?
3: Yeah. Look, certainly it's a good move. Uh, we always used to say and still say that, you know, in the end tariffs have to be paid by uh, by someone, and it was being paid by everyone along the, uh, you know, the supply chain. We're not not a bit of a dirty word at the moment, but any, everyone was having to pay from the consumer right through to the the wholesaler and the shipper and the manufacturer. So it it didn't it didn't work. Uh, and it certainly hasn't worked to, uh, you know, it certainly worked against the, the pressure on uh, the pressure on prices. So, look, I think I'm minding of that. And we got some hint of that from uh, from President Biden, I think, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, when he was talking about uh, rescinding some of these. And uh, I think that's a, I think that's a good way forward. Uh, we've always uh, we've often talked about recently about the. You know the end of globalization and the uh, emergence of uh, regionalization. I don't think this is getting it back to to globalization, but uh, but freer trade uh, has to be good for the you know has to be good for the global economy, uh, particularly under the pressures that's been faced in the last uh, uh, 24 months or so.
2: Quentin, a good sign. Is it going to help inflation? uh, Ease inflation in the U.S.
1: Well, that is uh, what people seem to be thinking. You know, I've seen estimates that suggest that, for example, as much as 1.3 percentage points could be taken off U.S. inflation if you had a broad lifting of tariffs, including tariffs on China and some other countries. There's sort of two competing objectives, if you like, within the Biden administration. There is this kind of desire now to tame inflation. Then on the other side, you've got the kind of trade wing, who I think still believe that this is a useful tool in kind of um, forcing the Chinese side to, to improve some of their kind of trade behaviour. Um, right now, given how hot a political issue inflation has become in the US, if you look at polling data, I would think that the first camp is winning the argument. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, tell us about the Wall Street Journal's reports that China's going to conclude Year-long cybersecurity probe into Didi Global lift the ban on new users, maybe as early as this week, and also that Chinese authorities are preparing to allow Didi's app back on domestic app stores, along with um, the apps of logistics platform Full Truck Alliance and online recruitment
1: firm Kenjin. That's right. So my colleagues reported overnight that we do seem to be close to the end of this cyberspace administration probe into Didi and these two other companies. Um, And there will be fines, uh, according to the journal, to follow this, a relatively large one on Didi, smaller ones on the other two companies. Um, It seems to be all proceeding much as telegraph because... Uh, if you remember, recently, DD shareholders voted in favor of a delisting in the U.S., and DD had told them before the vote that actually the delisting was a precondition to wrapping up the probe. So, you know, effectively, the Chinese authorities have forced DD into delisting from U.S. markets roughly a year after it first went public. Um, and so, you know, there are, I guess there are two kind of ways to think about this. One is that, in a sense, this is an important signal of easing on the tech sector because one of the kind of most severe assaults on a big Chinese tech company is wrapping up. But then, you know, it's not as if Didi is escaping this without consequences. So uh, it looks very likely that DD or a subsidiary will have to accept a government shareholder, which will take a sort of golden 1% stake and probably have a board seat. So it will become a, a you know, a more government controlled company in future. It's been forced out of US markets, may get to list at some point in Hong Kong in the future. Um, so the worst is past, but, you know, it's, we're not back to the status quo ante.
2: Patrick, uh, this has been one of the big overhangs, hasn't it, on Chinese markets? These threats of, well, modern threats, the ongoing investigations by regulators up on the mainland. Does this lift now um, a big problem off of the markets and allow them to move ahead?
3: Look, I think at the uh, at the margin, as uh, you know, as Quentin said, you know, there's still a long way to go. Uh, certainly, when these uh, these crackdowns started, um, it, it put a uh, it put a dampener, it put headwinds to. Uh, Chinese activity overall, and this was uh, China moving away from you know, global markets and becoming more uh, insular, if, if you like, and so that was a, a charge on, on global growth. Uh, I think we put the, all these, uh, you know, these couple of news items together, then uh, it looks to be you know, some easing of those concerns and. Uh, as you know, I always uh, want to be, uh, you know, tend to uh, you know, boost my uh, mm. uh, my, my, my confidence, <laughs> but uh, albeit from some fairly uh, some fairly depressed levels of late.
2: Trouble is, we've had some false alarms here, haven't we? On this before yeah. that, uh, you know, it looks like the regulators were going to ease up. Only then we get another set of new regulations coming out, and the regulators don't appear to have read the script, or at least be on the same page as people like Lou Her, who wants to, you know, who wants these regulations to take into account the impact on the the economy.
3: Yeah, look, look, absolutely. Uh, I think there's been a disconnect between the, you know, the, the regulators, between the administration uh, and between investors as well. Uh, you know, investors are very keen to, uh, you know, to seize on any, uh, you know, on any you know, short-term signals of, uh, you know, of good or bad and, uh, uh, and uh, you know the de- the depression in the in the market has uh, has come as a result of the uncertainty. So when that gets lifted, that's a that's a positive.
2: What a what a price though! Didi has had to pay for this, is not it? In in one
1: year, it's lost about what three quarters of its market value. Listed in New York, and been forced to delist. Exactly. And so you know when you see in the news reports overnight that the stock jumped twenty four percent, you have to remember it listed mm. at fourteen dollars a share, and it's now trading at. Two dollars thirty, I think. So it's, it's not quite back to par. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, sorry, Patrick. No, no. Say- that,
3: that's right. I was just saying you know, the tyranny of numbers. If you uh, if you fall fifty percent, then you have to double to uh, then you have to double to recover it. So
2: yeah. So give me some thoughts about the markets um, overall. We've seen quite a lot of volatility, haven't we, in uh, both bonds and stocks around the world the last, uh, well, since the beginning of the year, really, if you've been an investor, you know, and have a balanced portfolio of bonds and stocks, you've had a pretty torrid uh, year, in fact, the worst start to a year ever, because you've lost money on on both. Um, What's going on? Is, Is the market psychology now changing? Because we've had, what, since the global financial crisis, we've just been used to zero interest rates, yeah. lots of free money. Are, are people starting to realise that has changed now for, for the foreseeable future?
3: Well, I think, yes, they're absolutely getting to uh, to recognise that, that it's a change, uh, a change is coming. Uh, a lot of investors in the market have not been through a, uh, a, a tightening cycle. Uh, there's an enthusiasm in markets to, uh, to try and pick the top of where the, uh, the interest rates may rise to. Uh, and I think the key missing ingredient, uh, at least, for, from my perspective, from our perspective, has been that you know, investors and in the market as a whole have not well understood the fact that when you're trying to curb inflation and you raise interest rates, it's not the it's not the higher interest rates which uh, which curb inflation; it's a weaker demand. Mm. You know, so you raise interest rates to curb demand, and that and by doing that, you, know, you curb uh, pressure on prices. And I think we're only belatedly coming. Uh, to be aware of that fact. And so higher interest rates mean slower activity. Uh, And I think that that is going to play out for a little bit longer because central banks around the world uh, have set out their store very clearly uh, that they know how to beat inflation. That's by raising interest rates swiftly and raising them sharply.
2: Isn't the the reality, though, that the type of inflation we're seeing, the only way to defeat it is through a recession?
3: Well, that's right. You get a recession recession by, by curbing activity. Uh, there's a couple of encouraging parts out there. One of them is the inventory story. I, I think we've spoken about this bef- before. Uh, inventory levels are quite high, uh, generally. Uh, a lot of GDP numbers that I'm seeing uh, you know, contain a lot of inventory uh, within them. That's not great for growth uh, in the future because that's uh, borrowing from, from future growth. Uh, but it suggests that these supply chain issues have curbed, or uh, rather these supply chain issues have, have pushed people from, uh, say, just-in-time inventory uh, to just-in-case inventory. Yeah, So we've seen a lot of production go forward. So this inflationary impact of uh, supply chain issues uh, may be nearing its peak. Uh,
2: Quentin, well, well, it's a big week, isn't it, for inflation? We got the US CPI data out on Friday. A lot of people trying to speculate whether or not we've uh, reached the peak in inflation, and if so, whether or not that could give a boost to markets. What are your thoughts?
1: Mm, that's right. I mean, having acknowledged that there has been a big drawdown in both bonds and stocks this year I think it's also important to say that actually we've seen a little bit of stabilisation in recent days so it feels a bit like the market has moved to price in, Um, you know they had big concerns about galloping inflation about slowing global growth and about rising interest rates all combined and it it feels like after a a stretch of a few weeks of panic we've we've moved into a slightly more stable phase Mm. and you know who knows maybe a kind of surprisingly low print on the consumer price inflation number this week might be taken as a positive signal given where the market momentum is at the moment.
2: Patrick are you convinced by this stabilisation do you think the bottom is in or are people be maybe a bit premature here?
1: Look I think we're
3: bouncing along the bottom Uh, look I think there's still some uh, you know some companies some defensive companies out there that have done okay Uh, uh, you know ETFs uh, dividend uh, ETFs have still done have still done well. Commodities are doing well, as we heard earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, commodities are, you know, tend to be uncorrelated with, uh, you know, with bonds and stocks. Uh, you know, so I think perhaps we're just moving to a, a, a level now where you simply can't buy everything that we see and you know is the hottest thing in the in the news <laughs> items, and uh, mm-hmm. and more to a, a more rational, uh, a more rational approach. And I think that's good for, uh, you know, that's good for long term sustainability.
2: OK, well, thanks very much. You heard there, Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets, Quentin Webb, Asia Markets editor at the Wall Street Journal. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK. It's 8.25. The Japanese yen has slid to a 20-year low against the US dollar. The currency fell 0.8% overnight to 131.96 against the US dollar. That's the lowest since April, 20, uh, April 2002, and the yen is the worst performing of the G10 currencies this year. On the phone now from Tokyo is John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. Morning, John.
4: Good morning, Peter. How are you? Nice to be here.
2: Thank you very much. Um, What's gone wrong for the Japanese yen this year?
4: Well, well, I think what we're seeing are different interest rate cycles around the world. As you discussed in your previous interview, um, we we can see a tightening monetary policy cycle in the US, which is leading to an appreciation of the dollar with its inflation concerns, not only in the short term, but also over a longer term horizon in the US. Meanwhile, in Japan, Um, We don't see evidence of the impact of price pressures affecting inflation expectations. Um, And as a result, we we have a a more accommodative monetary policy stance in Japan. And this is leading to a widening in um, interest rate differentials in Japan relative to major advanced economies. And as a result of this, of course, there is pressure on the yen. Um, And this is compounded by the fact that we have um, rising commodity price uh, pressures due to the Ukraine conflict. Um, and these are, are of course priced in dollars and this this leads to pressures on the yen given that a huge proportion of um, commodities are imported to, to japan
0: mm.
2: if, if i look at those treasury yields the, the yield on the u.s 10-year note is 3.04 percent this morning uh on the japanese 10-year jgb it's 0.24 percent that's rather a, a wide differential isn't it and it could well get worse
4: that's right. In Japan, of course, the yield curve control policy is in place. Um, and this is on the back of weaker post-pandemic economic growth. Um, on the other hand, in the US, of course, uh, inflation has been a concern, not just recently, but also in the, in the period towards the end of 2021. There were some um, commentators suggesting that the inflation effect after the pandemic would be more transitory in nature. This has turned out not to be the case. Hmm. As we saw in uh, March with a, a very large uh, rate hike by, by the fed and this this was also coupled by a, a further rate hike more recently um, so inflation expectations are clearly being um, affected by recent developments in the u s and we don 't see this uh, in the case of japan and in, in combination with its um, policy on on the yield curve, we see these widening differentials
2: Why is it when inflation is surging? In many parts of the world now, certainly it is in the US and Europe in quite a number of emerging markets. We've got uh, a number of central banks almost on the verge of panic now, raising interest rates. Why is it you you aren't really seeing inflation pick up that much? It has picked up a bit, but nothing like what we've seen overseas. Why is it uh, under control in Japan?
4: Well, I wouldn't say it's under control. Inflation has picked up um, significantly in the last couple of months. Um, I think the rate for April was 1.9%, which is just around the, the, the policy target of the, the rate target of the Bank of Japan. Um, so I think the, the issue that we, we see in Japan is, is very low inflation historically. So it's coming from a very low level. On top of that, there, there's no implication of um, inflation expectations feeding through. So the, the evidence for second round effects is, is minimal. And this, of course, points towards um, no action on monetary policy, given the lags that monetary policy would take to have its impact. So, you know, for monetary policy to um, justify a tightening stance, there should be some implications over the medium term horizon and some second round effects, which we we don't uh, see in, in Japan at the moment, at least.
2: It used to be that when there was trouble and conflict in the world, like we're seeing now, the Ukraine war, the US-China tensions, the yen was a safe haven currency. Has it lost that status?
4: Well, yes, you rightly point out that historically the yen was a safe haven currency in previous crises. But I think the current crisis is uh, very different to what we've seen in the past. We're in a situation of tightening monetary policy in the US. Typically, in crisis periods the u s would inject liquidity into the global market, and um, so there would be the opposite effect um, so in, in this scenario it 's a little bit of a different crisis because Japan is uh, undergoing weaker um, post pandemic growth and an accommodative uh, monetary policy stance, whereas the rest of the world is tightening and it 's these widening differentials on interest rates and on the yields on on the currency in effect that are driving the The differences that we see um, as regards pressure on the yen.
2: Thank you very much, John. Good to speak to you. That's John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Japan this morning, the Nikkei 225 right now is off about 0.1%. The ASX 200 in Australia is slipping further. That's down about two thirds of a percent. The Cosby is off about 0.8%. And futures on the Hang Seng now turning red. Looks like the Hang Seng index is going to lose about seventy points or so at the open this morning. Please do join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock for some more money talk. Stay tuned for COVID updates with Jim Gordon and Ada Wong after the news. The weather forecast: cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms. Those showers are going to be heavy at times this morning. The maximum temperature is going to be around 30 degrees and then heavy showers and squally thunderstorms in the next couple of days. There is a thunderstorm warning in force right now. It's 26 degrees, 93% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andrew Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour
0: news. Thank you, Peter. Health officials say they've tested almost 19,000 residents of homes for the elderly in a month-long sweep intended to protect some of the most vulnerable from COVID-19. They say no new cases were found, though about 90 residents tested re-positive with a low viral load. Meanwhile, officials have ordered two schools, one in Kaluntong and the other in Po, to conduct some classes online after recording COVID cases. But the Center for Health Protection's Dr. Chuang shuk says most cases in schools merely reflect rising community transmission.
3: We have received two or four uh, positive cases among the schools and they are coming from more than 140 uh, schools. So each school may have one or two cases mostly and a few of them have more than two or three cases. So this reflects the situation in the community. So this may not reflect there is outbreak in those schools.
0: The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has survived a vote of no confidence from his own party. The result was delivered by the chairman of the 1922 committee and returning officer Graham Brady.
2: I can report as returning officer uh, that 359 ballots were cast. No spoiled ballots. That the vote in favour uh, of having confidence in Boris Johnson's leader was 211 votes. And the vote against was 148 votes. And therefore, I can announce
0: that the parliamentary party does have confidence. The prime minister faced heavy criticism after it emerged that events had been held at government offices in Downing Street during coronavirus lockdowns. The result means Mr. Johnson won't face another confidence vote for at least a year. However, analysts noted that the vote against Mr. Johnson was higher than that against his predecessor, Theresa May, who left office just seven months later. George Parker is a political editor of the Financial Times newspaper.
1: It's a very bad outcome. I mean, over 40 percent of his party voting essentially to oust the prime minister is an incredible uh, result. Um, Boris Johnson's allies are saying a win is a win and you have people today saying the one vote was enough but the fact is you know this is a huge blow to the authority of the prime minister very few prime ministers I find, I can't think of any in my lifetime have survived for very long after they've lost the backing of 40% or more of their own party
0: A supermarket in Kuwait has pulled Indian tea and other products from its shelves and put them on covered trolleys. It's in protest against comments by an Indian ruling party spokesman that have been deemed Islamophobic. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Egypt, Qatar and Pakistan have also condemned the remarks Nupur Sharma made about the founder of Islam, Mohammed, during a television debate. The news from RTHK.
2: Good morning and
4: welcome to Covid Update. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning.